You are listening to the Social Vision Podcast, an adventure in Jewish mysticism. Based on the book, Social Vision, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Transformative Paradigm for the World, by Philip Wexler, Ellie Rubin, and Michael Wexler. Prologue, In Search of a New Beginning, an Introductory Retrospective. Welcome to the Social Vision Podcast. My name is Michael Wexler, and I'm one of the authors of the book, Social Vision, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Transformative Paradigm for the World. And I guess the first question that begs to be asked is, well, why am I listening to this podcast? What is this podcast about? What are we going to be talking about here? What is this book, and what is its relevance? Well, to put it in understandable terms, which was always my job in this project that had three different authors, and we'll talk more about that later. The book Social Vision is interesting or relevant in the sense that it attempts to forecast what a new world order, if you will, or a new culture or a new society might look like. And a lot of us can sense in our personal lives that the current society that we live in is in a state of what we call in the book cultural chrysalis. And what do we mean by chrysalis? Well, a transformation is underway. The moth is in a state of turning. The old order, the old culture, the old way of life that we are all, in some sense, participating in is breaking down, is no longer working, has become stale, is no longer serving us, is taking away the joy that is possible in life. Yet in the midst of this cultural crisis, if you will, in the midst of this, what what the sociologist Max Weber called the mechanized petrification of the soul caused by modern society, we still are not at a place where a new order is emerging. Perhaps there's inklings on the side here, or the retreat here, or the new idea here, but we are in a very difficult period right now. Some would call it the second dark ages, a very dark view indeed, but we're in a very crucial period here in which the old has broken down and we are awaiting the new. And so in this period, it is incumbent upon writers and sociologists and theologians and philosophers to speculate and even bring forth what that new paradigm may be. And so that is the work that is taken on in social vision. And what we seek to do in social vision, if you will, is to mine the indigenous wisdom of the ancient Jewish mystical tradition, otherwise known as Kabbalah, and to see what treasures, so to speak, what gems we can pull from this dusty treasure chest that sits at the bottom of the sea. What can we pull out of this ancient tradition that might again be resplendent in this new day? What diamonds can we pull from this obscure mine at the corners of the earth to help us put in place some of the stanchions of a new order, to put in place some inspiring ideas about what could be coming next? Hence the subtitle of the book, Social Vision, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Transformative Paradigm for the World. Who was the Lubavitcher Rebbe? The Lubavitcher Rebbe has been 
the standard bearer or the great rabbi of the Jewish mystical tradition for thousands of years. It is a, a line, as they say, of dynastic rabbis handed down one after the other, the most recent being Menachem Mendel Schneerson, a name you may or may not know, who was the seventh and last Lubavitcher Rebbe. And while he is extremely important as a mouthpiece for the tradition, he is not the root of the tradition. The root of the tradition goes back thousands of years into history to characters like the Baal Shem Tov and other historical theological figures, which we may or may not know of. Some of us listening to this podcast may be extremely erudite, academic scholars, and we speak in those terms. Others may be laymen who are picking up this book whose intention has been to be much more accessible than your average academic book. We can look back in time, and I would never have the hubris to compare a book like this to Ulysses or to the Bible or to some of Heidegger's work or Freud, but in a sense, Social Vision is this kind of a dense volume that can benefit from some unpacking. And when we embarked on this project, which was very unusual in the first place, a sociologist, my father, Philip Wexler, a Jewish mystical scholar, Ellie Rubin, and myself, Michael Wexler, a popular writer whose job, in a sense, was to make this book comprehensible to the world, we had a tall task ahead of us. How could we create a little treasure chest, a little blueprint for a new order? And some of the complexities that come with proposing such a manual, and also make it an adventure, a journey for anyone who might seek out such a change, such a a new paradigm, such a new beginning. And that's what we've tried to do in the book, and that's what we're going to do here in the podcast. In this first episode, we just want to dip our foot in the water. And you'll excuse me if you hear the pages turning. And as we spoke about in the podcast, and as is printed in the book, the question is posed. Might the Jewish mystical alternative provide a new paradigm, a transformative path via which we can extricate ourselves from bureaucratic drudgery and dehumanization? Some dismiss the Lubavitcher Rebbe as a mere avatar of popular Jewish spirituality in the post-war era, or even as a failed messiah, a leader only for the deluded. But as Elliot Wolfson has shown in his book, Open Secret, Schneerson's deeply complex and original reinterpretation of the Kabbalistic wisdom traditions cannot be ignored. In speaking of religion as the handmaiden of a new sociology, which of itself is a radical notion, sociologists are not generally in the business of embracing religion as the fundamental underpinnings of a new society. But when we talk about religion, we're not talking about it in the sense of the baggage of religion, the institutions of religion. We're talking about the belief systems of religion, a sense of re-sacralization, if you will, as my father Philip Wexler calls it, a re-enchantment of society, a re-enchantment of the world, a re-infusing of joy into the world. This is what the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and another word for the followers of the Lubavitcher Rebbe are Hasidism. This is what the Hasidism, or the Hasidim, excuse me, these Orthodox people that some of you may see on the street with black hats and think, what are they up to? Or some of you may be wearing the black hats thinking, what am I up to? This is a different way of life existing within our society right now in almost small pockets, but how can we transpose and extrapolate these ideas further? 
Speaking of the great sociologist Max Weber, Social Vision goes on to say, Weberian concepts, notably charisma and authority, are imported to religious and Jewish studies as a matter of course. Yet the wider system of meaning that generates those specific categories is too often set aside, even ignored. A corrective to this trend is especially relevant in the present context because Weber's wider system of analytic meaning speaks to our times and can help us to make sense of the still vibrant, indeed resurgent currents of religion in society. And again, these currents are, we're not talking about going to church here. We're talking about adopting some fundamental beliefs that can be part and parcel of a new way of being. We're starting to see it around the edges, right? Yoga, I don't want to say veganism, but, but you follow what I mean. Yoga, veganism, spirituality, uh, I was going to say witchcraft, which is a terrible thing to say, but I don't mean it in that sense. I mean people grasping for new ideas, new straws with which to build a new house. Let's take a quick look at what Durkheim said about it. Another philosopher who had a preoccupation with religion, and this is what we find when we look back at these sociologists who were primarily academics, but in their writings, we start to see a preoccupation with religion, a flirting with religion as something that may hold deep secrets within it. The according of the first rank to this sort of phenomenon has produced some astonishment, but it is these phenomena which are the germ from which all others, or at least almost all others, are derived. This is Durkheim. Religion contains in itself from the very beginning, even if in indistinct state, all the elements which in dissociating themselves from it, articulating themselves, and combining with one another in a thousand ways, have given rise to the manifestations of collective life. One cannot understand our perception of the world if one does not know the religious beliefs which are their primordial forms. Weber himself goes on to say, a typical mystic is never a man of conspicuous social activity. So Weber had a sort of love-hate relationship with, with mysticism. Professor Wexler, my father, says, here and there, Weber himself briefly entertained the possibility of the socio-mystical alternative in Hasidism, or Hasidism. According to Weber, the Protestant ethic, as he called it, one of his famous books, is an example of a religious typology dubbed innerworldly asceticism, juxtaposed with otherworldly asceticism, otherworldly mysticism, and innerworldly mysticism. In his view, even an innerworldly mystic, that is a mystic who does not seek to escape the world entirely, is unlikely to intervene in society and he only grudgedly admits the phenomena of mystical communities. So Weber hadn't given over to this idea that religion had something to offer. As he says, and as we said before, a typical mystic is never a man of conspicuous social activity. That's not exactly a compliment. Nor is he at all prone to accomplish any rational transformation of the mundane order on the basis of a methodical pattern of life directed towards external success. Wherever genuine mysticism did give rise to communal action, such action was characterized by the acosmism of the mystical feeling of love. Mysticism may exert this kind of psychological effect, thus tending, despite the apparent demands of logic, to favor the creation of communities. That's a long way of saying he's not buying this mystical bullshit. Excuse my French. 
Weber, who was a very traditional sociologist, perhaps the father of sociology by some standards, put religion in a box for a long time among sociologists by sort of saying, hey, these mystical people are not going to get anything done. They're not going to be part of the cultural chrysalis. They're not going to be part of the new order. But slowly, Weber's idea has been challenged, not only by Wexler, meaning my father, in this book, but by others. Randall Collins has another view. A mystic inside the monastery, he says, is necessarily limited in what he or she can see. Implicitly, their community is that of the elite world of the monks and nuns surrounding them. A mystic in the world, however, sees God everywhere. That means to see society everywhere, community everywhere. The universalism of humanitarian social movements is born at that moment. And so what the Hasidism have attempted to do in society, and as I said before, you've probably seen them around in the black hats in their closed communities, is to create a enchanted, resacralized society, if you will, within this world. We could call them a mystic inside of a community, but at the same time, they're living within the larger world. So it's, it's shall we say, a halfway point between mysticism effectively working in the world and the adoption of Jewish mysticism or of mysticism as a whole into the new world order. Will the new world order transpose mysticism? Will it adopt it almost like a political convention? Will it adopt religion or the beliefs therein into the new platform of the party? These are the questions we're asking in Social Vision, and we're going to propose practical stanchions, a set of pillars advocated by Jewish mysticism that can be used in a potential reinvention of society. And so I don't want to drone on for too long, and we'll leave you with a few final thoughts for this first episode. Grace Davy, a well-known British sociology, expresses a similar conclusion to Collins. And here we're starting to see a challenge to Weber. The phenomenon of resacralization demands, in fact, a fundamental thinking not only of the paradigms of the sociology of religion, but of social science as a whole. In order to take on board the abiding significance of religion in the modern world, religion continues to influence almost every aspect of human society, economic, political, social, and cultural. No longer can it be relegated to the past or to the edge of social scientific analysis. Hence the challenge for the economic and social sciences to rediscover the place of religion in both the empirical realities of the 21st century and the paradigms that are deployed to understand this. In short, social science itself, just as much as its subject matter, must respond to the demands of resacralization. And I think that's probably a good place to leave it for our first episode of the Social Vision podcast. Next week, we're going to move into chapter one, which is aptly named Shattering the Iron Cage. The Iron Cage was what Weber believed modern society to be, that cage that many of us feel every day that we're in, when we don't want to get out of bed, when we're being worn down, when we're trying to pay the bills, when we look around and say, is this all there is? He called that the Iron Cage, a pretty powerful uh, image. So shattering the Iron Cage, that's what we're up to here. 
in this book. Nothing less than shattering the iron cage. And not just in an academic sense, we're writing in an academic sense, but how can we do it in our own lives? If we can build a blueprint on the sort of in the boardroom, in the academic spire, maybe we can then float it down, drop it like pamphlets from an airplane to those people desperately waiting below. So next week, we'll talk about chapter one, shattering the iron cage from the Protestant ethic. That's the old fashioned workaday mentality to the Hasidic ethos, which is a different way of thinking. And so I'm looking forward to that. And as we're going to do each time we conclude an episode, I'm going to read one of the reviews of Social Vision, which have been coming out fast and furious, and echo the fact that this could be an important book. And I'm not tooting my own horn. This is uh, I was just the popular writer brought on to try to translate these two mystical geniuses. But a quick quote, a quick, a quick blurb to end this episode. And this is from Joseph Telushkin, author of Rebbe, The Life and Teachings of Menachem M. Schneerson, the most influential rabbi in modern history, which is pretty um, undeniable or uh, agreed upon at this stage. He's the Roger Federer of uh, rabbis. And thank you, Mr. Telushkin, for this compliment. And so what Telushkin had to say about social vision was that it is a consistently insightful account of how Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson's understanding of Judaism offered a vision to transform the life of the individual, that's you, and through the individual, the world. Wexler's wide-ranging knowledge of the sources is apparent, but his presentation of even highly scholarly material is always accessible. This book can elevate your mind and your soul. 